Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Okay, welcome back to the Clone Real Estate Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, that's not our first episode, but it's our first recording of the new year. New year, new us. Right, Taylor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> same, yeah. Same technical difficulties. Still looking for our, uh, yeah, our <laughs> tech assistant out there. So yeah, 2024 is kicking off. I read a pretty fun article recently. It was a, by CNN, basically a bunch of exciting things happening in 2024. So I wanted to review a few of them with you. Yeah. It's a leap year which is pretty cool. So 366 days in this year. Crazy. If you have a birthday this year, then... Yeah, you're turning four or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Olympics in Paris, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Solar eclipse is happening. Yeah. I think the last one was 2017. NASA is returning to the moon. This is crazy. Yeah, first time since 1972. So that's pretty exciting. It's like 51 years, 52 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. First time since Apollo went up and orbited. So, yeah, this one was interesting to me. New capital city is being built in Indonesia. So they basically just said Jakarta is overpopulated. <laughs> traffic sucks. Pollution sucks. We're out of here. Yeah, I just think that's actually pretty cool of a country to decide. That's what we need to do in Canada. We have all this immigration, all this land. We should just need to throw a dart on a map. New city right there. Start building rings out. Yeah. You know, like you said. Yeah. Where was that? In Australia, in Canberra. Yeah. Essentially just like built a city for politicians. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's build a city just for realtors and mortgage brokers. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be the worst. Everyone would just be calling each other all the time. And... That would be one needy city. Yeah. yeah that would. <laughs> yeah. Good idea though. The last two I thought were pretty interesting. Kind of what has become like the new norm. So Facebook is 20 years old which is pretty amazing. I remember when Facebook first started. Yeah, so do I. I didn't really think it was going to take off and should have bought stock, idiot. <laughs> and here's another one I should have bought stock in, Amazon. So Amazon turned 30 years, which is mine. 30 years old. Imagine starting off selling books online. Yeah. Now you're Amazon. So to kind of segue into today's guest, Ron Butler, he runs a quite a big mortgage team out of Ontario. He's been doing it for, well, same as Amazon. He's been doing it for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> Slanging mortgages longer than Amazon's been slanging books. Yeah, so he's a vet in the industry. He's a pretty interesting follow on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff. Yeah, he's good on Twitter. Yeah, he's on TikTok as well. Yeah, he definitely goes after those like kind of clickbait headlines. Like it's always yeah. interesting media type stuff. His Twitter is really good. I like his Twitter. Yeah. yeah, something he said in the podcast was the Canadian industry is kind of out of whack because real estate market. Yeah, your house price, like the average house price, is about eight times the annual income for that household. Whereas in somewhere like Texas, it's more like four times. And that's kind of what it used to be in Canada. So he's saying like, just financially, things do not make sense. The mortgage sizes are so high, et cetera. And I agree with him to a certain extent. But I guess the question I ask is, what's more likely is the housing market going to correct by 50% or is this just going to kind of become the new norm where people are used to larger mortgages and stuff like that? And that circles back to like 30 years ago, if you told someone they could buy essentially anything they wanted online on the internet and it would be delivered the next day, like no one would ever believe that. So I'm not trying to like hype up the market and say, yeah, like things are going to take off, but 
for the market to crash like 50% for things to get back in line or do we just kind of get used to the higher mortgages? Yeah, I think higher price houses are here to stay. Yeah. I think kind of in the best case scenario for housing affordability, the houses just stay the same while the wages rise over the years. Yeah. Right? I don't think that's going to happen either, but I think that's kind of the best case scenario. And that's kind of what BC assessment has recently come out with, right? Like it's a fairly stagnant yeah. increase, decrease across BC. Well, we just came off the slowest year. I think it was over 25 years, like slow sales, but also slow listings. So like prices are stagnant. I think Kelowna average went down 3% last year. On BC assessment. The assessments yeah. are based off of July 1st. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. There's yeah. a lag in the system, right? It's like they're doing that assessment six months ago and then you're getting for your july sale. 1st yeah yeah so you know if the market say yeah there's a bit of an but it's kind of been the same like it's been a slow market but also like low low inventory right so like for the amount of sales has been super low but the prices they've definitely dropped a bit but they haven't fallen off a cliff by any means and i think it's because of the low inventory yeah yeah well that's a big one like how do you cut prices when there's no inventory you know exactly and our population is growing like crazy yeah just the way it is. But yeah, we chat to Ron at length about some of these topics. Opinionated, funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely not afraid to say what he wants. So uh, yeah, whether you <laughs> like it or not. It's, yeah, it was fun having him on for sure. It was a good time. And yeah, yeah hopefully you guys are having a good 2024. I think this is going to be an awesome year. Just for the record, I think it's going to be stellar. We're going to hold you to that. Like uh, if a listener has a shitty year, they're going to come back at you. Well, I think that the real estate market is going to be stellar, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about personalized. I think it's just going to be a good year yeah. for us yeah. in Kelowna. Agreed. Okay. Well, yeah. we'll cut to the show and yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy. Okay. Well, let's jump into it, Ron. So what's your perfect Friday? What does Ron do? How's your day go? Not, not Margot Robbie. Okay. All right. <laughs> Look, Friday in the mortgage business. At the end of the month, it's either yeah. probably really, really bad, or it's you get to go yeah. home at four if you're lucky. Okay, so the only perfect days I've ever had are unrelated to being in this office. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But I mean, you obviously enjoy what you do to a certain extent. You've been doing it for 29 years now. Yeah. Well, you guys are young. You're going to find out in about 15 years, it's just a prison, okay? Like, you can't do anything else <laughs> and, you know, unless you have 25 apartment buildings pressed and, and all over yeah. the interior. You don't have to work anymore. But the other thing is, being a mortgage broker is a lot like being an old lawyer. So let me explain that. So if you're in the big, big cities like Montreal and Vancouver and Toronto. You go to the big law firms because there's big law firms, right? There's like Canada-wide law firms that have offices in all those yep. towns, right? And you go to those huge law firms and you get off the elevator. If you get off around lunch hour, you will eventually start to see like incredibly old people start rolling in. And they're going to their office. Like there's lawyers in their 80s. So help me God. Like John Chrétien is a lawyer in Montreal now, the former prime minister. He's a lawyer in Montreal now. He goes to the office four days a week, three days a week. He's in his 80s. So these lawyers, all of them in all these towns, go into their office at the crack of noon, okay? <laughs> and they work till they go for lunch or something. Then they work a few hours. Then they go home. But if you're an old lawyer, just like you're an old mortgage broker, a certain amount of business just keeps showing up, yeah, right? Yeah. So if you want to work and you don't hate it too much, you gain some entertainment from it, yeah. you could work. The top, smartest, best people in the mortgage business He's the same age as me. He's 66. He runs mortgage lending out of a bank. Oh, this was a couple of years ago. I said to him, John, we're getting up there. When do we retire? Like, what is it? 
So he looks at me very calculatedly and he said, well, from my point of view, as a president of a lending division at a big bank, the money is pretty good. And Ron, it's not outdoor work, okay? <laughs> like, why are we bitching? Just take the money and keep showing up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing roofing here. We're yeah. not under a car. Just keep showing up. That's it. So that's what I do. That's funny. You do have to go to Parliament, though, apparently, and give me your two cents. Well, like, it's an honor to go to Parliament. Yeah. Well, why not? Well, you know? I, can we talk about that? So you've been doing it for 29 years. Sure. You've gone to parliament. Obviously, we're in a difficult time. You know, there's a lot of media, housing crisis, affordability, et cetera. But over the 29-year period, how did we get here where we are now? What has happened? What policies have come out negatively, positively? Sure. And then how do we get out of here? So the thing that we have to consider about the Okanagan is that it is affected in the same way as other major centers in Canada. The price of houses there is batshit crazy. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Zero. Okay. And when I say that, I say it meaningfully because there's other countries where they're equally batshit crazy, like Australia, New Zealand. But let's face it, Kelowna is not Singapore. Kelowna is not Hong Kong. Kelowna is not Manhattan. And yet the prices are just silly. What I mean by silly is simple. Is the price of the average home, single family detached in Kelowna, about eight times average family income? Eight, nine? That's about right. Yeah? I think it's in that ballpark. Yeah. 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 It's a yes or no question. If you want to argue and say, no, no, it's only four and a half, I'll listen. Okay. But I think we both know the average price is probably just under a million, right? Yeah. Just over. Yeah. Just over for single family. And that's roughly eight times average income. So up until 20 years ago, for the whole other time continuum in Canada, that the price of a single detached home across Canada, maybe even a little less than the Okanagan, was about two and a half to three times average family. That's reality, okay? Like a house in Penticton like 30 years ago didn't cost a million bucks, did it guys? So point I'm making is that is an important detachment from reality, that it's not reasonable to think that people should be buying homes for eight, nine, ten times income. That doesn't make sense. Because if you go to Texas and you go down to the Gulf Coast of Texas, you can still buy houses today for two and a half times family income. Nice houses, big houses, like 2,600 square feet, like nice neighborhoods, like you can walk to the beach okay, on the Gulf Coast. So we have to question why this has happened. There's a bunch of reasons, but you know, we have to accept that it's an aberrant marketplace for the average Canadian. So, like, what are the, some of the reasons? Like, why is it so sure. much higher? Okay, main reason in Canada, particularly if we look at the areas that are most impacted, which is British Columbia and Ontario, yeah. we've had a long, multi-decade impact of foreign money coming to these particular locations. You say to yourself, well, wait a second, wait a second. I mean, I don't think that's true of the Okanagan Valley. Okay, but if enough foreign capital comes to buying residential homes in Vancouver, the whole greater Vancouver area, eventually people cash in on that marginal growth of the value and they move to Kelowna. You know, they say, I want to be able to cash out my house in Richmond. I literally know six people who lived in Surrey, New West, Richmond, yeah. and they all bought in like pre-2000. And they sold four or five years ago and moved to the Okanagan because they said, I can have a paid for house in the Okanagan. I don't have to have any mortgage and I'll have an extra, you know, 300 grand, 400 grand tax fine. And that influx of people with money 
into the Okanagan keeps pushing the price up. The other correlating factor, which is very important, is since 2009, we've had effectively a zero interest rate policy in Canada. Yeah. We've had interest rates that were more or less around inflation, which is effectively free money, right? I mean, what was an interest rate in 2012, 2013? It was below three, right? To get fixed rates for below 3% or just above 3%. Yeah. That's almost inflation and sometimes less than 1% over inflation. Yeah. And then we went through the incredible utter insanity of 2020 and 2021, where we really had zero interest rates. Like we had variable rate for 0.99. We had five-year fix for 159 low inflation. So. Like with the foreign money coming to Vancouver. And Toronto. And Toronto. The foreign money is not going to the U.S.? Like, I don't understand why they're picking Canada. Sure. I'll explain it easily because the U.S. went through 2008 and their entire real estate market was decimated for five years. There's like multiple millions of people lost their homes. So their real estate market did not fully recover until about 2015. 2016. So they were decimated. And by the way, there are key markets in the United States that are absolutely affected by foreign money. Yeah. So you've got Los Angeles, San Francisco, Manhattan, and to a lesser extent, Miami. And those markets are definitely affected by foreign money. They are the highest priced markets in the United States. Yeah. But the beauty of the United States is it's huge, absolutely huge. And there are places that the foreign capital didn't want to go to. Like, Take the very best neighborhood in Chicago, the best, like the number one neighborhood yeah. in Toronto, the Shaughnessy of Vancouver in Chicago. That neighborhood is 60% cheaper than Toronto and 80% cheaper than Vancouver because there's no interest in foreign money in that town. There's no foreign money going into Texas. Nada. Okay. So there's no foreign money going into Alabama or Tennessee or Kentucky or any of those places. So those house prices are all ridiculously less than our house prices. If you want proof, there's your proof. So do you think since they've come out with policies to effectively ban foreign buyers or reduce them? Meaningless. Half a trillion dollars is already here. It's meaningless. Right. So if they didn't do anything with that policy, would we be in a much worse position now? Or is the damage already done? There's no way to reverse no, it. No, because the truth is that everybody's stopped buying as a foreigner. Everybody arranges for members of their family to become permanent residents. So they just ship the money to them. So what's the solution for that? Well, it'll slow down on its own. I mean, China's having its own economic correction right now. Yeah. But how to slow it down? We could stop it instantly. I'll give you a simple example. They have capital controls in China. No individual can bring up more than $50,000 a year. The trouble is in Canada, we accept infinite amount from China. If you are a legitimate person in China and they can identify you and you're fully vetted by them through their compliance department, if you want to move $5 million into a Canadian account once you're fully vetted and accepted, their compliance departments will approve it. And yet, it's illegal to move that much money out of China, but the Canadian banks don't care about Chinese capital controls. They've said this over and over. We don't recognize Chinese capital controls, so we don't have to care. That's interesting. I had that situation where we had a South Korean buyer. They were super worried they weren't going to be allowed to move over enough money. Yeah, all those countries have capital controls, yeah. whether it's South Korea, China, Singapore. You go through all those countries, they all have capital controls. But they find ways to get around the capital controls but the interesting part is that our banking system and our own government puts the blessing on the banks. And we say, we don't care about you. Yeah, you're right. You don't have to care about any country's capital controls. We don't give a damn. Okay. So as long as you can vet the client properly, that you know who they are, that you know that they own a business in China, that you know that they seem to have that kind of network, that it doesn't appear to be of any illegal or nefarious nature. If you've done your correct compliance, you can let as much money come into the country as you wish. And most importantly, 
you could have that money come from the father to a relative here who's a permanent resident, and that's not a foreign buyer. That's not at all a foreign buyer. So that's fine. They can buy as much real estate as they want. Interesting. Is anybody in government bringing up this? No, no party. So Justin or Pierre, nobody. Well, the real point is that it's too late. There's a half a trillion dollars here, right? It's here already. You know, this has been going on for 30 years since when the lease was up in Hong Kong. It started that long ago. We're talking stuff that's 30, 35 years ago. So okay. there's no point in talking. But if you want to know, that's the catalyst of high prices. Yeah. Because the prices aren't high in Winnipeg, are they? No, I don't think no. so. Yeah, I'll guarantee you they're not. Yeah. Okay, they're absolutely not. Okay. They're higher than they should be because that's the general virus that spreads across the country, you know. If you talk to the people in the Maritimes, 2020 to 2021, the average house price in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick increased 40% in 18 months. And that was just people from Ontario coming in line. So what's the general temperature at Parliament then? Do they want to see housing come back down to four times the household income? What's the end goal they're trying to achieve that you know, you've heard by being there? The end goal of everyone in Parliament is to either become the government or stay the government. That's the <laughs> That's a cynical answer. That's a very simple answer. Don't get me wrong. Constantly say this. When you meet those people, you understand that they are not evildoers. They are hardworking. They get up early. They show up on time. They stay late. Yeah. The hearings ran to like 8 o'clock at night. You know, everybody wants to think that they're just doing nothing is wrong. They're a very hardworking group of people. In general, they're smart, aware. They're also gracious and personable when they meet you. They're very polite. They are quality people when you meet them. So all the ridicule that we heap on to politicians is not rational. We should keep ridiculing shitty policies. Yes, we should. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. But we should stop ridiculing the people because they're pretty hardworking, effective people. They're just stuck with crap policies. Okay. I don't think that Trudeau is Castro's kid. Okay. Like, I'm absolutely <laughs> sure he's not. But we can't keep on. I see yeah. that online every single day. I see that online every single day. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we have a wrong idea about politicians and people in parliament. They're hardworking. They want to do what they can to help Canadians. Yeah. But their primary goal is either to become the government or stay the government. That's it. That's all there is. I always thought it was interesting. You have like 66% or something like that of Canadians own their own house. I just feel like your policy is never going to win if your plan is to cut the prices of two-thirds of Canadians, their main asset. You're absolutely right. I keep calling it two solitudes. There are the people who already have bought before 2005, 2015, people who own for a while, and they all have a vested interest in this wonderful equity increase they've experienced. Absolutely true. That's 100% correct. And then we have their children and their grandchildren who are utterly fucked. Yeah. So this is what we Honestly, have today. Yeah. We have parents who are giving substantial down payments to allow their kids to buy a home in BC and in Ontario. And now, this year, we have parents who are giving more substantial money to pay down the mortgage to be able to survive the renewal change or the variable rate increase. Okay. We have both of those things going on in BC and Ontario. We have the gift for down payment and the gift to save you from an unmanageable renewal. We have two gifts now. So we're developing what you could call a feudal system. That's the way it used to run from about 1300 to 1700 is that you would inherit the property from your parents. Okay. And that's sort of what we're getting at here, where the only way you can manage homeownership is if your parents owned a home that they bought before 2005. 
I think you'd agree with me that that's not a good scenario, right? Yeah, so what's the solution? Like, you just kind of keep prices the same until wages eventually catch up? That would ultimately be the correct solution. Ultimately, the correct solution is to eliminate anything other than base inflationary increase in the price of homes in Canada. Yeah. Which, by the way, is what happened in the United States from about 2012 to 2018. Like, let's say we just start over completely, blank canvas. What's kind of the initial policies that you would start with just capping any type of capital gains in your property? Like just, hey, if you buy a property for 500000 that's where it's maintained. It can go up with inflation. No, look, we're stuck with the capital gains thing now because you have to understand that there's got to be base fairness in everything you do. And if all these other generations have had no capital gains on primary residences, and by the way, it's political suicide. Yeah. The first federal politician that suggested we're going to play with capital gains on primary residences, probably that party would be wiped out. It would go from whatever many seats it had to like four yeah. in the next election. It would be wiped out. That's not even feasible. It's not even sensible. Okay. You also got to remember in the housing world, there's reality and there's also politics. You have to accept it, but that's the way it works. Yeah. So you've got a province right now where your premier, Dave Eby, is doing tons of things to try to deal with these issues. Now, some of them are, may work well, and some of them may not work at all, and some of them may just be of a very, very minor nature. But he's doing all kinds of things, let's face it, upzoning the whole province yeah. so that you can build multi-units on everything that's a certain size, right? Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Now, he is trying to effectively put the stake through the heart of the evil vampire of Airbnb. He's like pounding the stake right into the heart and killing that fucking vampire Airbnb, okay? So that's a benefit. Absolutely it is. Starting to execute on the unexplained wealth rules. Like, how did you have this $8 million house that you've never paid taxes in your life, but you can never explain to us where the money came from, from whatever other country it came from? You can't show us where it came from? Isn't that already a FinTrack thing, or...? Sure, what's a FinTrack thing? Like... Unexplained wealth? This is the first time it's being executed on. This is the first time they're moving to seize a property based on unexplained wealth. That's just happening now in British Columbia. First case. Interesting. Where they're going to seize the property. It's funny you talk about all the things that David Eby's doing because I watched Pierre's video a couple weeks ago now. All those points that he brought up, I was like, man, David Eby's doing half of these things already. Which is kind of funny when you had conservatives and then the NDP is already doing it. It's kind of a funny... uh... Well, actually, if you think about it, it's just a populist agenda. It's an agenda that's aligned with saying there's things that people are fundamentally pissed off about. And everybody under 35 or the vast majority of people under 35 are pissed off about this situation. And if I can get enough of them to vote for me, I get elected. It's very simple. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Do you think the motive is truly genuine then or is it just going after votes? It's both. I mean, David Eby is like an eight-foot-tall alien, right? I mean, he, uh, you know, he doesn't look like he's the guy who's getting drunk every Friday night, right? Like, no. he seems like a very buttoned-down, tight guy, right? Yeah. And he's politically adept. It's weird that I know more about this than you do, but he actually comes from being a lawyer who fought for tenants' rights in Vancouver, okay? So he's very, very in tune to this. And Pierre, I know, has campaigned people a little bit, and they, believe it or not, follow all the real estate social media in Canada, and they tap into it too. They say, look, people are legitimately pissed off about this. Nobody's happy about this. Sure, the people who have had a house in Shaughnessy for 30 years, they don't want to see the price go down, okay? But interestingly enough, if you survey them, they don't actually desire to see the price go up anymore. If you look at all those people in their 60s and 70s, they recognize that their grandchildren can't own a home. It's bizarre, okay? 
they're okay with finding ways for their grandkids to own homes. They just don't want their prices to go down. By the way, they're okay with their prices not going up anymore. I think even if you just bought a house, like not even the people that have lots of equity, but if you just bought a house 15 seconds ago, you still don't want the price to go down, obviously, because you can be negative equity. I think the price is going down and creates a lot of issues. I think best case scenario is you hope that they just stop going up for an extended period of time. I don't know if that's possible even, but it's what I think. Well, that's a magical solution. But the reality of life is that prices have come down in Ontario. Like for, if you take the apex pricing of February of 2022, yeah. those prices are all down in Ontario. Yeah. Every human who bought in 2021, unless if it was a resale, that house is worth less today. Now, if it's right in central Toronto, in core 416, or as Drake would say, the six, it's probably down 5% or 3% or very little. But if it's in the distant 905 that surrounds Toronto, those subdivisions, it's probably down about 20% from the day that it was bought. Yeah. By the way, same thing in Agassiz and Ladner and all those places. So they're down 20% from 2021. Yeah. So crystal ball, what's your kind of projection for 2024? So now we've kind of seen less volatility in rate cycles on the variable. Where are we going? Obviously, you know, we can speculate on different markets, but can we just focus on BC and Ontario since sure. you know those are kind of the hottest ones? Sure. Rates come down. They don't come down in January. Every TikTok realtor is saying January, just take them out and spank them. That's all just crazy bullshit. Bank account rates not coming down at the January meeting. Not coming down in April either. It's going to come down sometime you know, after the middle of 2023. The Bank of Canada rate will come down. Once it starts coming down, it'll come down about 1.5% over the course of about whatever long time that takes. If you look back in the historical record, the average reduction from the high, when the Bank of Canada raises rates to beat inflation, historically, the average number that it comes down is 2.41% afterwards when it has to come back down again. Probably won't come back down that much because it was at a super low point, but I think you can pretty much count on 1.5, 1.75% once it starts coming down. And always understand that the fixed rates come down well before that, just like the fixed rates went in advance of the Bank of Canada raising rates, the fixed rates will come down in advance of the Bank of Canada cutting rates. So we'll probably see a lot of rates with a four in front of them by the summer. Interesting. And do you think that will boost back up the purchasing again? Like, are people just going to have a frenzy? Or now that these policies coming out, are they going to be able to maintain that you know, non-growth level that they're trying to? That's all about unemployment. How's your economy in the Valley? How's your economy in the Valley? Valley's doing good? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, how do you define good? Everyone's smiling. Like they could just be high, right? Everyone yeah. could just be high, okay? Like, I mean, let's face it. Well, we're not the Kootenays, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously, unemployment numbers and GDP, like, Still be across that. Canada, like, indicate, yeah, we are recession, teetering recession, whatever. But yeah, basically in Kelowna, we've always been somewhat insulated to that. Like when house prices drop 20% in the lower mainland or Toronto, maybe they drop 2% in Kelowna. Maybe that's just because we've been at a much lower purchase price than those products anyways. You ain't lower anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, time will tell. Like now we're up with the Vancouver level more or less. I'm not quite. We're getting there. Well, it's an easy call to make. If the economy is in bad shape, if unemployment's running up to 9%, you won't see any run-up in prices. I mean, you'll see selective buys in, in situations where people have to buy. But if you're worried that you'll lose your job or your partner will lose their job, or you know, if you're worried about the general economy in Canada, 
in the middle of next year, then you are not just saying, hey, I got to get me a HELOC and buy a rental. I mean, you know, you just, yeah. the tendency to do that is just not there. So yeah. will house sales improve? Because obviously in Ontario, we're experiencing 30-year low unit sales. So are we, yeah. They only started keeping track of it in 1992, and this is lower than when they started keeping track of it. And there's 4 million more people in Ontario now. So like, it ain't good. Right. Same with you. It ain't good yeah. on the unit sales side. So unit sales, like low listings, low sales. Yeah. But it will improve. Absolutely. Rates with a four in front of it will be more unit sales in the real estate. Well, not, I think that's a big one. Like why is someone going to sell their house when they're at a 3% rate and they have to requalify, they can't port five and a half. Like it's stagnant because of that. Sure. It's stagnant because of that. So if we get a four in front of a rate, there'll be potentially more, action just like we saw in the spring of this year there was a brief three-month yep. surge of activity right yeah experienced it yep. but different from spring of this year if the unemployment rate is nine percent then everybody's thinking jesus i don't know if i'm next that'll cool that so it won't be frenzy i mean this is the funny thing about real estate in canada right when you talk about it you're saying well listen can't we get back to the frenzy? Like, let's get the frenzy going again, okay? Like, that's kind of fucked up, right? Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> that's honestly like that market's not that fun like it, obviously it's fun when you're at a seller looking at 10 offers but yeah like that same seller has to go buy so they're going to be right on the other the shit end of that stick in a second so like it's kind of hey we were all in the business in 2021 right we all know what it looks like yeah okay? exactly yeah busier than now for sure but a more balanced market i think is helpful for everyone yeah busier than dead is, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely 100 yeah. that's the whole thing you watch yeah the unemployment way up in the summer in that case it's going to be better but it's not going to be good. I know we have a pretty strong job market right now. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that there are jobs right now. We'll see in the summer. Ron, I also want to ask you quickly, we talked about foreign investment and the job market. Like, What is your thoughts on immigration? Like, I know that we have high immigration. Like, Is it hurting? Is it helping? Like, What's your opinion on this? Well, immigration is like this. It's highly necessary in Canada. Our birth rate has fallen so far. If we didn't have immigration, our country would shrink in population within six years. Okay? Yeah. Like, Nobody's having kids. One of the reasons nobody's having kids is nobody can afford to live. If you're somebody in your 20s, you can't afford to buy a house. You're highly impacted by inflation. Yeah. Rents are through the roof. Okay. You feel economic stress. You feel a level of economic hopelessness. You're not going to go produce kids. I mean, that's just reality. Even before that, we have a falling birth rate in Canada. A falling birth rate in the United States, if it wasn't for illegal immigration, and people who came to Canada illegally having kids, those kids being citizens, and those kids are people who do have offspring. In the areas of the United States where there's no major impact of people from Latin America, their populations are falling too. So we have to accept the fact that if we don't have substantial immigration, like the half a million a year of permanent residents, that we would have a problem. Now, what we can question is, do we need all the temporary workers and do we need all the international students? Because we got an international student madhouse going on in Ontario. And I mean, because we have weird rules in Canada. So in Canada, if you open a college or if you're a university and you issue a student permission to come here, they got to hit certain qualifications. They got to have 20 grand when they show up. But if you issue that acceptance of coming and being enrolled in the university, in any province, it bypasses the immigration quotas and they just show up. Like In other words, if you allowance to come, the government of Canada automatically issues a student visa. So it's like a license to print. If you make some bullshit you know, university or college and you start recruiting people 
they just keep pouring in. And let's face it, the student tuition for international is five times, 5x what local students pay. So it's a profitable business. I did not know that. And it bypasses immigration limits. We could have 2 million come. Seriously, 2 million could have come last year. They didn't, but like 800,000 did. Okay. I would imagine there's like a clear benefit to having educated immigrants to be here for a long duration that then want to start a family here. But you're right. Like obviously universities are doing it because of the financial gain because they charge more. Would that be a potential solution then is to limit the immigration on student and allow more on skilled workers? Yes, absolutely. And the government's actually given that some consideration. They're going to have to revamp all those rules to say, well, instead of, you know, international students, if you're going to come here and join a trade apprenticeship program, we should let you in. Or if you're going to come here to study something of that CAD-CAM design or architecture or something that's legitimate, you know, we got a lot of people taking introduction to business tourism at these yeah. places, right? I mean, like, or better yet, introduction to real estate. Like, you know, do we really need more realtors from another country? I don't know. But like, you know, yeah, they're going to revamp it. They're planning on revamping it. That'll probably take about a year. But also the students are not coming on their own. Like the word gets back to the countries where these students are coming from. And they're finding out that it's just a ripoff. That it's a crappy degree. It's a crappy place. You can't afford to live here. That, uh, you know, that you have to share a basement with seven other students. So with futons and one bathroom and people are charging you $800 for a futon with a curtain around it okay $800 a month and the food costs a fortune and everything's yeah. very expensive here so we believe that international student enrollment will fall on its own by about 35% next year really but if students are living like that then they wouldn't be having that much of an effect on the housing market pushing it up sure they do because it's a motivation to buy a 3,600 square foot house that you can jam 16 people into and make a living out of it because there are people coming from a country that's part of your community and you speak the language and you can just jam them in. And it's a reason to say that if I can get 12 kids in here for 850 each or 14 of them, yep. I can afford that mortgage now. I can afford the mortgage. Mm -hmm. It's completely illegal, obviously, totally illegal. You're running a legal rooming yeah. house. Okay? Yeah. But high levels of rentals support every real estate market in a way. Yeah. The differences between BC and Ontario, you guys have property transfer tax, right? When you purchase a house. Yeah. So we've had Brennan Augmentson, he's a BC economist for the real estate board here. And we brought this up to him as well. Like there are other neighboring provinces like Alberta that do not have that tax. And we just asked, you know, a little bit of transparency, where does all that money go? Cause with the transactions that we see, you know, that's twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 worth of tax on certain transactions in BC. Do you guys have that transparency in Ontario? Like where does that tax go to? It goes the same place as it does in BC. It goes into general revenue. Yeah. So what land transfer tax is, is just a support to keep property taxes artificially low. That's all it is. It's nothing else. It's just another cost that's being forced on to, in many cases, first-time buyers, okay, and move-up buyers. So it's just a way to keep property taxes low. Therefore, it is fraud. I mean, let's face it, when you've got all these cities, including your own cities and your own towns in the valley, when you've got this growth in development charges, right? You've all seen this huge growth over the last 10 years in development charges, haven't you? Right? Yeah, Taylor's favorite topic. Yeah, right. massively. Massive, right? It's massive, okay? Because let's face it, if you just said, let's have the accountants figure out what it's going to cost to pave the road, connect the sewer, that ain't what you're generating. Those development fees, about 70% of them are going into general revenues of the municipalities, right? 
We know this. This is the truth. Yeah. Okay. No. So that's supplementing property tax. So I wanted you to consider the insanity of this. Okay. To say to the people who are just coming into the community and just buying in the community, we're going to have you pay an exorbitant amount of money on this new property in order to support the people who've been using the property for 25 years, enjoying all the benefits of the municipality, all the services, all that the municipality provides. Oh, and they've also had an equity run-up of about triple over that 20 years, maybe quadruple. And we're gonna get your money, Mr. New Home Buyer, Mrs. New Home Buyer, we're gonna take your money and we're gonna help to keep those people's property taxes as low as possible who've been using the goddamn services for 25 years. Yeah. Okay. Like, if you start to think about the insanity of that, it's fucked up, okay? And it's just because if you increase property taxes as a city councilor or as a mayor, you get voted out. Yeah. If the property taxes were what they were supposed to be, probably 50% higher. You know that the city of Vancouver has the lowest property taxes of any city its size in North America. It is the winner of every city across North America, every single one of them. Manhattan <laughs> has like five times the property tax of Vancouver. Chicago is double the property tax of Vancouver. Like It's just nuts. It's the winner. And by the way, if you're 55, as you know, in your province, if you're 55, you can get your property tax deferred. You don't have to pay anything. Yeah. Okay. As the value of your property goes up and as you continue to use all the services. So we have built an insane system of the people who actually use the stuff and have the most to gain by it, increasing the value. We had them be supplemented by people who are buying for the first time. Just the same. But it's politics. That's it. Yeah, I agree. Alberta does like comparatively, you do have higher property taxes there. And I agree with you. Like I would rather not see that property transfer tax being incurred, especially for first time home buyers. I think they could just remove that entirely to help them get into the market. But I guess one of the positives trying to, you know, see both sides of it would be it does maybe encourage people to do less transactions. Like if you're going to be buying and selling frequently, well, that is a tax on that. So Hold on. I got to make this point. Like if a woman comes home from work early one day, like really early, unexpectedly, something happened at work, everything shut down. She went home early and she went into the house and she found her husband in bed with her sister. I believe that there's going to be a divorce there. Okay, that house has got to be sold. That transaction has to happen. Yeah. It's got to be sold another couple of houses off. Yeah. Okay. What I'm suggesting is there is no defense. There is no rational defense for, yeah, we need to make sure that the people in the houses who've been there for 20 years pay the least. Okay. There's no logical defense for it ever. It just doesn't exist. All right, Ron. It's been awesome. I just have one more question. What's your favorite social media medium? Like I know you primarily from Twitter. Was that your OG? Is that your original social media? Or? That's the original. Yeah. I've been on Twitter the longest. I mean, they had to talk me into going on all this other stuff. One thing about the Twitter, like your tweets are long threads. Like how do you do that? Because they're quality. They're awesome. I wake up every morning and I do those fresh every single day. Really? The most important thing I can tell you is, people ask me this all the time, there is not one living human besides <laughs> me is responsible for one word of the content on any platform. Really? It's only, there's no writers, there's producers, there's people who do yeah. the editing and do the downloads, and I don't get involved in any of the production stuff. But every single word you hear on TikTok, every single word you see in X or Insta or yeah. LinkedIn or anywhere else. That's only me. There's nobody else. Right on. Love it. Well, thanks, Ron. It's been a blast. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Ron. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. 
please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.